Hey, welcome back everyone and today we're going to start off with no real banter like we usually do because what this will be a fucking two hour long thing no banter well we're talking about a two hour long movie here listen according to the fan mail that i get people come for the banner and then they're like okay oh they're actually talking about a movie and they stay for that but they come for that first two minutes where we randomly aimlessly talk about a bunch of bullshit that doesn't make sense they like that we you can't do, cut that out you do know you cut out a good half of that anyway we, we sometimes go into a completely different topic for seven to eight minutes, and that has to be trimmed down. Need I remind you of the M. Night Shyamalan rant that we both went on for Or better yet, the Boy minutes. Meets World Love Fest. Oh my god, the amount of time we spent on The Last Airbender and Boy Meets World. That Especially like Topanga. My childhood crush, for sure. She so. was everyone's childhood crush. Seriously, name one person who is not a fan of Topanga. Whoever, better that, yet. whoever that person is should be thrown into a, a lava pit and... That's it. So Exactly. <laughs> That's all I got to say about anybody who doesn't like the Panga. Anyway, so today we're talking about a nice, fun foreign film for the first time and since we started this podcast. Wait a minute. <clears throat> we don't know if Tremors were from, from another planet or not. So, I mean, that was kind of foreign. So, right? But it was still made in America. Yeah, but it wasn't domestic. It was from Planet Xylon. So. Planet Xylon. You yeah. can't even remember where the damn predators are from. Oh, hell no. Oh, oh we're, okay, we're doing that again. We're, yeah. <laughs> we're, we're again tying a Tremors to Predator again. I mean, we can tie it to Alien, too, if you really want to. No, no, no. That's the podcast for another day. Exactly. That'll be uh, Nick's conspiracy theory slash movie hysteria slash look at the UFO in the sky podcast. It's, it so. literally looks like a giant-ass worm. Here we go again. You know what? You promised the audience we're not going to go off on a tangent about different random things. Here we're talking about tremors, connecting to predators, connecting to aliens. Yeah, what to... a way to make me a fucking liar, man. Yeah, you did it to yourself, right? <laughs> I want to talk about the movie. You mentioned it was a foreign movie. I was just saying that. Is it really a foreign movie? So... It, it is definitely a foreign movie. For any viewers that may have some type of trepidation towards foreign movies, because yes, you do have to read. You have to do some work. You have to look at the subtitles. You have to read. You have to pay attention. It's not or all Or you get flashy. the dub. Well, yeah, get the dub version, but hey, look, why not get the subtitles read? Yeah, because you'll actually get what the damn words are saying. Like in this movie with Battle Royale. Yeah, you can't tell me the dub versions are accurate. Oh, hell no. There's some bullshit in those dub versions. I'm like, he didn't say that. That doesn't make sense. And of course, when you look at the subtitles, it is completely different phrasing. The subtitles are way more accurate, way more true to the film. You remember those dub Jackie Chan movies? Oh, gosh. Like, you could tell he was doing his own dubbing. He did his own dubbing, but he still had the broken English. So it was kind of like, wow, I don't think he said the right line there. <laughs> anyway, so we are watching, or I guess we've already watched. We are discussing. I've, I've watched it. Have you watched it? Because Well, considering the fact I'm the one who suggested it. Well, you have nine page of notes, so I think you probably did watch it. <laughs> I've seen this movie <laughs> a good ten plus times. And we're talking about Battle Royale. Battle Royale. It is a... 2000 movie based on a book. Don't ask me the year of the book. It was 1999. Okay, well, there you go. Yeah, the book was a huge hit overseas, and then the movie came out, and the movie was extremely successful overseas. Yeah, in Japan, it was one of the highest grossing movies of 2000, and then slowly but surely, it made its way to, you know, the United States and gained a huge cult following. I have the 2001 special edition. Because I was thinking I should buy this. And the Blu-ray was like $22, and I was like, it might have been the DVD even that was $22. Either way, it was extremely expensive, and I was like, yeah, I'll just watch it on Amazon. <laughs> so you've seen it a bunch of times. Oh, yeah. One of my favorite, one of my first uh, impressions of it was, what the hell am I watching? Like, literally, it starts off with a bunch of Japanese text, which back then I did not like subtitles. I still don't. 
So I had no idea what it was saying. Until all of a sudden we just cut to a little girl being dragged out of a, looks like an island by a truck and she starts smiling. Yeah. I'm like. Yeah, I was lost at the beginning of the movie. Before we get in the movie too also, let me say that I had never seen it before until just this week. So this is my first viewing experience of it. So my thoughts are not in any way clouded by nostalgia here. I'm coming completely fresh, brand new movie for me. Yeah, I was confused at the beginning. I was like, huh? I had a general idea in my head what the movie was about. And even having not seen it, I had heard that it was kind of a ripoff of Hunger Games or that Hunger Games was a ripoff of that. So I kind of knew what to expect, but I was confused at the beginning, didn't know what was going on. Shit just goes to hell very quickly in this movie. Oh, very. Yeah. Now, so the first thing we should mention is that the reasoning behind this is actually a law that's going on. Once a year, the a group of kids, or a classroom of kids, gets selected to be in a new law, pretty much, called the Battle Royale Act, otherwise known as the Millennium Educational Reform Act. This was because 800,000 students protested their schools due to a economy crash, which also left 15% of people unemployed, and like half of that is still ended up committing suicide in, in the process. But, yeah, quite the quite the legislation that was passed there, the Battle Royale uh, Act or Amendment or whatever it is. You know, you think the parents there would have some issues with that, but no, apparently not. Everybody's on board in this country, so. Well, sort of, because to be honest, you actually find out that the parents think they're just on a class trip. They don't, the parents don't even, some, half of their parents are actually dead. Half of them, the other half don't care. And they all think that their kids are going on a class trip. They don't know exactly what the trip is. Well, those parents are in for quite the surprise, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, when none of their kids return. And the kids are randomly selected? Yes, uh, apparently it's by a lottery. It's by the lottery, by class. So in this one, we get we never were told exactly what the class name was, but we were we get our group of kids on the school bus and they get drugged. And these are ninth graders. Yes. So which is a very interesting age because it's not so young like elementary or middle school, but it's ninth grade. I mean that's freshman year. That's the beginning of high school. So mm-hmm. you're definitely not a full blown adult yet. It's kind of a nice in between age where these kids are going to be, you know, intelligent enough to probably defend themselves and be capable, but they're not adults by any stretch. And this is the oldest you could do is probably ninth grade to where you can still pass off as, like, kids. Anything older would be now we're into, like, you know, Friday 13th movie, like a slasher movie, slasher teenagers. I mean, They still feel like kids almost. I mean, we do kind of get a uh, slasher-esque character in this movie. Holy shit, do we? Man, I... I thought that, you know, I thought there was Jason Voorhees, Michael Myers, Freddy Krueger. I thought we had the big three, and now I got to take this mofo and throw him in, in, the, in, that, in that category, yep, maybe. Yep, Kiriyama. Kiriyama. You can't my, say that with a straight face. My man. Well, folks, also, let me just say this. I'm going to be terrible with names today, so I'm going to rely on, on Nick having seen him many times. I'm just going to describe what the character was. Oh, the big bad guy, or our two main protagonists, or that crazy girl that's killing everybody. So I'm just going to well, stay anyway, away from names. Well, anyway, speaking of... Main bad guy, this is where we get introduced to somewhat the situation when every all the military personnel and then the teacher that was actually stabbed in the beginning by another student walks in. And this is our big bad named Katano. Katano, not to be confused with Kano from the Mortal Kombat movies, which I'm sure nobody's actually confusing that with. I was just thinking about Mortal Kombat for some reason. Sometimes that happens to the best of us. We just get random thoughts of, finish him in Mortal Kombat. And well, be- I'm, I'm getting a PS4, so that's why I think it's... Oh, okay. Yeah, it's come to my mind. I was like, Tekken or Mortal Kombat, which one should I buy? But uh, regardless, yeah, so this guy was their seventh grade teacher. Mm-hmm. 
So they all recognize him. Oh, yeah. And that probably gives them a sense of comfort because they're like, hey, and whatever this is, this can't be that bad not because we have our seventh grade teacher Not here. particularly because he did quit the day he was stabbed. And him getting stabbed causes him to have some kind of bitter grudge against school kids. Especially these kids, yes. Okay. And it's not really just him being stabbed. It's also the fact that during the time of the kids acting up, they just wouldn't listen to him. You know, yeah. he's trying to do his job. He's trying to be a teacher. And then all he get and all he gets in return is literally a writing on a chalkboard that says, class excuse because we don't want to. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, nothing justifies what he's about to do, but at least they did give his character some perspective on how he feels and why he feels this way. But this 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 scene in the classroom um, with all the kids there and they're figuring out their situation now and he, things are starting to get explained to them. This is some crazy ass shit. Like I, I didn't know what to expect from the movie, so everything's been pretty pretty normal at this point. But this is like this whole scene establishes like holy shit. Oh yeah, you're this movie's right. not playing games. These kids are not safe. The brutality just in the damn classroom scene. Katano throw, literally throws a knife just because you got two characters whispering and it nails a girl right in the head. Right in the freaking head. That's where you automatically know shit's about to go down. I felt bad for her, but then I was like, you know, I'll say it's by the end of the movie. It's like, you feel bad, but you've seen so much death and carnage that you're just like, ah, what's a knife? Yeah, pretty much. But at the beginning here, I'm just like, holy shit, what am I watching? Especially with the fact that for some reason you look at this teacher, you're thinking, oh, there's... He's not dangerous. All of a sudden, he throws a damn knife. I'm like, he's very dangerous. <laughs> yeah, he's like, he's like every teacher I've ever known. He looks like he's about to say, class, sit down, take out your textbook. Uh, what did we leave off yesterday? He seems pretty laid back and chill. And he starts killing mofos. And, <laughs> and he, even makes the, he even makes the joke, at, you know, with all the military guys laughing. He's like, I don't think I'm supposed to kill any of these ones. I'm not. <laughs> And we get this, uh, I love the instructional video oh, with right. the ultra cherry actress in the video who's giving the instructions and acts, she's acting like it's the best day of her life. <laughs> she acts like she is the most happiest person in the world as she explains their impending deaths. Oh, yeah. I love and, it. And then, of course, for some reason, after she's done mentioning the necklace, we get her second death of the movie right then and there. Well, we okay, we have her kind of explain what the necklace is, but... Hey, what better way than to see it demonstrated for the audience right there? So we have one of the slacker kids who well, the teacher deems hopeless. Actually, the reason he deemed him hopeless is because that's the same kid that stabbed him. So then we got the personal vendetta right here. Exactly. So, so, uh, so the this, char- kid, this kid was screwed no matter what. Oh, yeah. This character's name was Nobu, and he was actually friends with Shuya and Nariko. Yeah. They were on the bus hanging out. Mm. They took the damn picture. But Nobu is going to no. have, have no luck. Nobu's now going to have no throat. <laughs> No, th- no head. Because <laughs> right, they they explode the damn necklace and out, and it's kind of and they show it. It's, they this, show it. And this it's is not, also kind of this movie is not an off death, off screen death mm-hmm. type of movie. And, and it's also one of those scenes where it's kind of heart wrenching if you just to know the character somewhat because you see that all the other kids have abandoned them. Even Shuya, the main character, pretty much abandons them too because he doesn't go running for him. He just stands back and he actually keeps walking away when Nobu try to get close. Well, in that moment, even if it's a close friend, realistically, if you're expecting his head to blow up, (laughs) I mean, how close do you want to be to him? It's like, hey man, I can grab you. I can try to get the thing off your neck, but I don't want to get your head like spilling on me when it blows up. So they they made the right move. Oh yeah. (laughs) And then, so we pretty much now get, uh, Another fun scene, which is all the the characters getting their bags. I, I did feel this kind of took a long time. 
well, as they introduced <laughs> number thing, blah blah blah, going through all the characters and them grabbing the bag. I did feel like that kind of drug, like kind of dragged that a little bit. And then we um, important to note though, you get a sense from um, you got the two transfer students. Oh yeah, you get a um, sense that they've either done it before or they know what they're doing or they just want to kill somebody. I tried to like from the very beginning. I was trying to figure out them because I was like, okay. They're clearly, they're not part of the group. And one of them just seems like a badass when he gets his bag. He's like, I want the other bag. <laughs> right. He goes, that's my bag. That's my bag. And the military is not like, blow off his head. They're like, hey, hey <laughs> whatever you want, kid. Like, they're scared of the, the dude, that dude. In hindsight, I think that dude might probably bust the military's ass. Oh, <laughs> hell, hell, what's even funnier is even is Katano's probably the only one that's not jumping out of his skin. He's just like, you probably noticed it by now, but these two are dangerous. And I'm just like, you think? <laughs> so um whoever's listening probably seen the movie but just to establish basically the rules established were that all these kids are going to be on this like deserted abandoned island and they have three days to kill each other and if anybody's left alive well the one person left alive the one person left alive then they win the game mm -hmm. but anybody else left alive the little things on their neck explodes boom. and kills everybody yeah so it seems like a no-win situation unless you happen to be the last survivor. <laughs> what do you think about the idea that, um, so they're, they have each character going into the island one by one, right? What do you think about one of them just standing at the entrance and literally killing each one, which whoever has a gun, mind Someone you. Someone does that. Sort of, but they fail, basically. Well, they you, try, but They it's did it with the very first person. Yeah. yeah. So the very first guy actually called, what he does is he goes out, he obviously looks through his bag, and he gets a crossbow. So he's setting the crossbow up, which is why he doesn't shoot everyone else, until, I guess, the girl before the main character goes out and gets shot in the neck. So she did. And this and guy, then and the one dude with the bow, yeah, like he freaks out and ends up getting himself shot, basically. Yep, because uh, uh, he falls over, loses the crossbow. He's obviously out. He, he's out for himself. So, okay, so that guy sucked in his execution, but he had the right idea, which is like, hey, why wouldn't I just, like, hide out somewhere as they come out one by one <laughs> and, and get them all? Because, like, yeah, just at that point, if you're one of those kids, you got to start strategizing. As soon as you get out, you can't trust nobody. You got to strategize. So I, I thought the scene, it took a long time for them to get the bags and all that. And, of course, it's explained also that in these bags, each character is getting a weapon. And they say, they're like, hey, well, some of y'all will get good weapons, some of y'all will get bullshit weapons. <laughs> and by my count in the damn movie, half of them will get guns, and half of them will get bullshit. Well, and I mean, I mean some real bullshit. Like, oh, yeah, some like real I, bullshit. You couldn't defend uh, yourself from a turtle with some of these weapons. But, uh, obviously, as you brought up, half gets guns, but each gun is still, in a sense, different. Yeah, some of them have assault rifles. Some have assault rifles. Some One had a handgun. One had a shotgun. Like I said, every gun was actually different. Then you had those that had more melee weapons. You got an axe, a nunchuck, swords. Yeah, some of them had some damn Jason Voorhees type weapons. Oh, yeah. One had a machete. Holy shit. And then we get some fucked up weapons, like a potlet. Yeah. Um, potlet. I think one girl had a megaphone. And I was wondering, like, too, because um, each character had a design bag for them. So was there thought like into like, okay, give this person that, give this person that? Probably not. I okay. get the feeling it was just completely random. random. Okay. Yeah, so some characters have guns, some characters have nothing. Oh, hell, Kiriyama, he had a damn uh, folding fan. Yes. The reason he got all the guns is because he, he gets surrounded by five different people. And then when one guy gets uppity and get right in his face he takes it and shoots them all that, that's again when i was still i was still i was like okay this is gonna be a lot, a lot of be a lot of death scenes i can see that this is these kids aren't playing but that that established that this dude is like the badass oh yeah 
When I say badass, I mean really the, the main villain-ish. So. And then you also got, you know, characters that didn't, don't even want to be part of it. They throw themselves off a cliff or hang themselves. I thought it was a little bit early to kill yourself. You know, later in the movie, <laughs> when all hope seems lost, kill yourself, yeah. But to give up on the first day out of three days? I'd be like, hold up, maybe this is some <laughs> elaborate practical joke and some helicopter is going to come save us. <laughs> to, to kill yourself on the first day? I thought they jumped the gun. No, I thought they, they jumped the cliff. <laughs> Fuck Liter- yourself. Literally and <laughs> metaphorically, they jumped the clip there. You didn't, and, think that, you didn't think that was too soon? They killed us on the first day. The, uh, the first thing they did was like, okay, we're not doing this. Kill ourselves. So and, it, the, and, the, and the guy didn't want to do it. He just liked the girl, and the girl was like, no, this is the right move. On the way down, he was probably like, I can't believe I let this, this fucking girl come Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> well, and then we get to meet another character, Mitsuko. Or as you probably know her as Crazy Bitch. Man, I'll tell you what. She is femme, femme, femme fatale. fatale. Yeah, man. She's got to be the most vicious woman I've ever seen on film. No, very, very <laughs> first scene, you see her you know, interacting with someone as um, Nuriko's friend Megumi. And she's she comes in innocently, yeah. Yeah, she's just acting all, all nice. You, I can't say innocent. You can tell by her face she ain't innocent. But uh, you, she's acting all nice like, oh, that's your weapon? And then all of a sudden, slits her throat with a damn sickle and goes, this one's mine. I'm like, okay, go fuck yourself. And the way she did it was so painful looking and so slow to, to do it. Oh, she she definitely... Made her think about it for a few minutes and then cut her throat. I was like, holy shit. You, you can definitely tell she's either killed someone before or she has no fucks to give. With her, so she wasn't a volunteer, but... You do get a sense that... She had fun. I don't know if I can make the leap that she's enjoying herself, but she's clearly not hating this. <laughs> it's weird. It's like, she's doing it for survival, yes, but she's handling herself very well. Her survival instincts are over the top. No, oh, very. Now, here comes a kind of an eerie moment, in my opinion. That's Katano telling everybody the amount of deaths and who died in the order they died in. To, first of all, make them know this is real. Make them know what friends you have left, what enemies of yours are gone. Really, on screen in the movie, it just makes them sad. Because we focus on our main characters Mm. who are like, oh my god, she died. Oh my god, he died. So for them, it's just a way to get sympathy by them just being like, you know, really caring about their friends that died. Uh, Yeah. And then I'm going to mention a scene. Technically was a very small scene, but it actually is a little bit more important later on. And that is when Shuya is attacked by pretty much an axe-wielding maniac. Oh, yeah. And when they um, they tumble down the cliff, and he accidentally gets stabbed in the head. And, and that gr- was... Uh, so the other thing the movie establishes to me is like, it doesn't intend it, but there's some funny-ass scenes there. <laughs> a lot of the movies played for satire and laughs. It's not all that serious. Yeah, this dude's like attacking them like he knows what he's doing, but ends up with an axe in his head. And then... The what's his face is like asking the girl. He's like, "Did I kill him? Did I kill him? You saw it." And she's like, "No, it was an accident." He's like, "Oof." And okay. you and you also pretty much get a witness to this accidental kill, which again will become in handy later. But then they get attacked by another guy, some random geeky looking dude. Yeah, some math guy who's talking like, about math, and they were saved by the other badass Kawada. And the geeky dude had a gun too, right? Yep. That's what a I'm revolver. saying. All these mofo's have guns. But yeah, then we see our uh, one of our main hero dudes, who actually in real life the the actor who played Kawada yeah. is now a politician. Wow! In Japan, of course. 
So he's probably going to pass Battle Royale Amendment 22, 2022. And I should also mention that the girl who played Mitsuko, or Crazy Bitch, she actually played in a movie with Keanu Reeves, 47 Ronin. I thought that was her in Speed. She was driving the bus, right? <laughs> oh, God damn it. <laughs> the familiar to your family, that was Sandra Bullock. So. Exactly. So as we know, you know. I said Crazy Bitch. Had past flings with family members that you know so um okay allegedly okay so yeah so okay so basically some of these actors do go on to have careers basically a lot of them probably did films in japan and stuff i'm guessing so so another thing i want to mention is we start this is where we also see that kawada doesn't really want to kill anybody by the fact that we get now two girls screaming trying to get people on their side to for peace I thought most of these kids had terrible strategy because if I'm on the island, I know that if I'm doing a big call, hey, come, let's work together. I know that I'm going to get some people that want to come help, but I'm also giving my location away to the crazy mofos that are going to come and kill my ass. Is exactly what happened, too. I mean, Kawada did did try to scare them off with gunshots, but they were, for some reason, decided to sit there and start telling the main character that uh, they like him. Yeah, I'm like, listen, this is not the time <laughs> to be gossiping. Right. They're like, oh my God, that's what's his face. Oh, you have a crush on him. I do have a crush on him. And then we get Blasted. Kiriyama, and he has fun with this one. He walks over to them, one of them's still moving, and then boom, blows him up. Like, I'm like, holy shit. But what he does first is, this one, in my opinion, is a little bit more Freddy-esque. Because what he does is he picks up the megaphone, blows into it, and then puts it right up to her and shoots her. So that way her death cows just goes all over the place throughout the island. Look, Freddy would watch that and be like, man, that's so mean. He'd probably have fun with it. <laughs> Freddy would be like, yo, I'm not messing with this dude. <laughs> Jason would like be walking his direction and like slowly turn around and walk in the other direction. <laughs> He'd be like, I'm, I'm, I'm at the wrong lake. I'm sorry. <laughs> right. This, this is not Crystal Lake. <laughs> I don't know how I got to this island. <laughs> the only time Jason talked, be like, oh, oh you, you, this is your island. You got this. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and then we get, you know, and unfortunately, because they're on an island with really no way of warmth, Nakagawa or Nuriko, she ends up getting sick. And this is where we meet Kawada again. Her getting sick was kind of random. Yeah, it's definitely a plot placement. Yeah, plot contrivance to but this, make them. And then, and then, yeah, they end up at the doctor's thing. Where the what's-his-face is already there. Yeah, and this is where we find get the first of many freaking occupations this kid's father was part of. And this dude has a skill level that really comes in handy because not only can he fire a gun, but he knows about medicine. He knows how to patch up wounds. He knows how to tend to the sick. He's got liquor on hand. Uh, he was one, he's one of the few that actually had could prepare a bag with stuff that he would need. And, and then this is, uh, I guess I should mention this because it's kind of central, not really central, but it's a side plot, is there's four, there seems to be three characters that is trying to figure out the thing with the necklace, how to disarm oh, the yes. necklace so they can get out of it and everyone survive. Yeah, so it's so funny, like, we cut to sometimes, we cut to the military, showing their screens, they have, basically they're able to track everybody you know, see everybody's number, track everything. And they're also deciding certain places are um, danger zones. Mm-hmm. So these three characters, they found some warehouse or something, right? Right. And they basically just set up shop. With a working computer. With a working computer, they set up shop. 
they're clearly like doing crazy shit and like the military dudes like i'm like uh, do you guys notice these guys like are staying in one spot the entire time obviously <laughs> doing shit right like they give them the whole three days basically just to like sit there and, and figure out how to beat this shit and, and, be and, honest, and the one dude is um on the laptop and like this is the year 2000 <laughs> this dude's typing away like he has the newest mac oh, right. the new, newest mac apple book at best you got windows xp all right <laughs> like he's sitting there breaking into the government like database and i'm like aren't you a basketball player <laughs> they, didn't, they, they didn't show you in programming classes they they apparently you basketball. all are basketball players well basketball players slash computer geniuses this, this kid is and then his his dad is macgyver or some kind of um super astronaut tech person who built bombs and stuff but anyways we'll we'll get to that later well here here's another fun tidbit for you now we get to find out uh Kawada's backstory oh yeah after he cooks and says his dad is now gone from doctor to chef we now learn that Kawada's actually three years older than these characters because he's already been through this once he's three years older or he continues to fail the ninth grade oh god damn it held back he can't get past algebra he just can't do it so he keeps qualifying for this damn (laughs) battle royale because he can't get out the ninth grade if he just passed algebra he wouldn't have to deal with this shit what is damn you you failed algebra as a kid didn't you (laughs) listen they say it's easy they say it's just like triangles and squares that's all it is there's a lot going on there man (laughs) A lot going on there, right? UFOs, aliens. Oh, oh my gosh! When did could, I cut conspiracy theories? All right. Okay, could someone please uh, on YouTube when he puts this up on YouTube in the comments, please explain when the hell I became the straight man out of our duo? I don't know. I figured since you picked the movie this week, I would just go off the cliff like those two dumb <laughs> characters at the beginning. So one death we didn't talk about. Crazy girl comes back from from something and finds some girl waiting for her. Remember? Oh uh, yeah, here um, I have it written down as Mitsuko versus Hirana. And I hear it was pretty, pretty deadly. And and so she has the advantage, you think, but then crazy gonna be crazy and take over take over the situation. Well, what she does, so the reason you think that is because Hirana actually has the gun. She has the gun aimed, trained right at her. And she, did she a- doesn't know that Mitsuko has the taser in her back pocket that Megumi had. Instead, all she sees is a sickle. So, of course, disarms the damn sickle, still has a gun, but she gets close to Mitsuko again. Well, she did the classic villain thing where she has the person cornered, but decides to go into some crazy ranting monologue explanation when you could just be killing her. Right, but instead, Kill her! <laughs> but instead Mitsuko gets the better hand of a damn taser and then picks up the gun and shoots her in the face. Yeah, yeah. There's hey, actually I mean, kind of a reason I glo- I didn't talk about that, because to be honest, what did we learn there? Mitsuko apparently is a pimp. Yeah, you know, it's funny because there's so many deaths that have to take place in the story, and I'm sure the writing, the director had to choose, like, pick and choose, like, okay, how much do we need to show this death versus, like, some deaths are off, some deaths are off screen, we cut to some deaths, but some deaths, if they're not advancing the plot, or if it's just kind of random, it's like, eh, do we need to waste time with this? So... It's interesting as they go along, like how they, I mean, to credit them, they show most of the deaths, though. Oh, yeah. But here's the one that was technically cut away, and that was Kiriyama and the Bulletproof S guy. Oh, yeah. yeah. So so Kiriyama's chasing down the Bulletproof S guy, shooting him, and he, he walks away, th- and the Bulletproof S guy thinks, oh, he thinks I'm dead. He got away, looks up, and then we get... 
probably a really cool shot of Kiriyama just pulling the sword out of the sheath. And this guy has like a classic slasher chase scene. He's running away. He thinks he outsmarted him. He's he's in he's in the home stretch, but then he looks up and sees this dude standing above him with a sword, or whatever. And instead of running away, he's like, ah! he stands there in slow motion for seven minutes and screams as the damn sword comes, blade comes out and cuts him to pieces. Oh yeah, like I said, that was an idiot. Like I said, Kiriyama, he. If anyone classifies this as a horror, he's the reason why. Oh, absolutely. Because he's just... One, he teleported. Hey, look. There I, is no way he got up there that fast. I'm telling you, man. I'm, I, he's he's up there. He needs... <laughs> he needs, like, three sequels where he comes back to life and, <laughs> and just, like, haunts the island and... But uh, give him one sequel, and that's that's an all-time slasher villain, so... Though we do get a uh, confirmed kill with the... Bulletproof vest guy when his head goes into the cabin with a grenade in his mouth. Yeah. He Which is another pretty horrific scene also because you get Kiriyama just with bloody hands just slapping the window. <laughs> you know, I have to talk about the idea of what would you do in this situation on the island. I, I'd i be killing people. Yeah, I don't think I would buddy up. I, but yeah, I don't think I would buddy up, but I, I wouldn't necessarily be on the, the offense like you. I would go... The best you could do is what the three guys are doing. They're trying. They're actually trying to figure out a way to get rid of the thing on their neck, create a bomb. Their strategy, I think, is pretty sound. And the whole three days, like up until the end, nobody really comes to bleep, like bother them. They're just like they're cool in the place. And so then also, um, I might be skipping ahead a little bit, but um, the the girls that are all bunched up and the lighthouse, classic lighthouse scene. Which watching this for the first time, I was like, okay. Something's got to happen here because I know all these female characters probably have to die. Oh, they do. But they're like, they, they were like super comfortable, like cooking food and acting like basically they were on a vacation. <laughs> um, best friends till the end, apparently all of them. Until, but then you start to see the cracks in the in Well, the, the crack happened because Yuko was still afraid of Shuya. Remember, she just, Yuko just witnessed Shuya kill somebody with an axe to the head. So you actually progressed this nicely. But yeah, she just wanted to shoot you, put an axe to a kid's head accidentally, but still happened. So she's afraid of him. So she tries to poison his spaghetti. Yeah, and... Another girl grabs it. Uh, I didn't like this because she grabs it, right? Now, these are her friends. She has a moment there where she can warn her, but she's just like, ah, don't. Man, well, okay. <laughs> pretty much. Spaghetti. You just killed your friend. Yep, pretty you much. Just, you just messed up the whole thing. Yep. So that happens, and, and that then... sends them all into a tailspin of paranoia mm -hmm. because she passes out dead, and they quickly surmise she's been poisoned. Who did it? The cook. The cook? Fuck you, go. The cook. And we get, a, we get this funny like um, standoff scene with guns. And... They start firing and they miss each other for like 10 minutes, but then they start hitting each other. Yeah. Like, and one of them calls it out. The last one calls out. She's like, we're so stupid. We could have made it at least till the end. And it's true. Yes. Just you had a perfect. The lighthouse is so perfect because you're on higher ground and you can see who is coming. Mm -hmm. Think about that from a hiding spot perspective. You can stand on the top of the lighthouse with whatever weapon you have, and you can see anybody coming towards you. And if you have a gun, you can snipe them. Oh, yeah, hell it's yeah. the perfect situation. If I was the main characters, even what's his face, I would have been like, let's like buckle down at the top of the lighthouse. <laughs> the one girl 
then decides to throw herself off the lighthouse. Yeah. <laughs> I, like, I know you feel guilty, but like, hey. No she felt point very in, guilty. No point in crying over spilled milk. You killed all your friends. Doesn't mean you got to throw yourself on a... By the way, if you're going to do that, right? Like, I'm like, I can understand I'm throwing myself down off the lighthouse to the ground, right? She jumped onto like like scattered rocks. Yep. Holy shit. Yeah, she wanted to die. <laughs> no, but can you imagine like, okay, like you see flat ground and you see like the big ass rock. You jump onto the rock. Well, you know for a fact the rocks are going to kill you. Oh, man. There is still a possibility you can survive from falling on flat ground, believe it or not. Yeah, true. But I can't imagine. I would still be, even as a color, I was like, ooh, that's, them rocks are sharp. <laughs> I don't want to land on well, that. Well, they'll definitely help. I'm, like, I'm going to die either way, but I don't want to land on the rocks, though. <laughs> like, I thought that was overkill. And then, you know, did your subtitles, my subtitles was like, as a dude stands on the light tower, sees her body, he's like, I don't know what this means. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I did do that, too. It's like, huh? I don't know what any of this I like, means. Having a deep philosophical moment? <laughs> what is that? Well, what it means is... No, what it meant was... It means was, you got the light tower yourself. <laughs> no, what it means the is... Yourself. You go couldn't fly. She couldn't fly. No, she couldn't. She thought she could. And it means she makes a mean bowl of spaghetti. So. It, also, it also means she listened to that one song way too much. A fun way for him to die, if they were going to kill him off, was he wanders back in the kitchen... He's depressed. He's like, ooh, spaghetti. <laughs> he starts, oh, starts chow, just chowing off on the spaghetti. Nope. He, he completely leaves the spaghetti alone. And then we go back to to uh, Neriko having some weird-ass dream that we will now not talk about. Anyway. By the way, one thing we didn't really talk about. I know we, we talked about um, his background as far as having been in the thing before. But we didn't talk about his girlfriend that he was with before oh yeah um and his whole mission in life now is to find out what that last smile meant well the last smile meant she's happy that he got to live and not her i thought it was pretty obvious but he's like i have to spend the rest of my days figuring <laughs> this ri- this puzzle that can't be figured out i'm like you just told the story once. I already get it. <laughs> right she and it hell nuriko got it too because she told him exactly what it meant <laughs> That whole thing was kind of fuzzy, though, because they're boyfriend and girlfriend, but they start shooting each other. Well, she probably did it because she wanted him to live. Notice how it wasn't a kill shot, though. She could have easily just shot him straight through the heart while hugging him. That's how I took it, too, because basically their thing started going, so they're both about to die. So she's like, okay, I have to sacrifice myself so that he can live. Right. So... Still, he shoots her. Well, the good, <laughs> he, he kills her. Well, most likely after everything that happened, the minute he felt the shot, he probably just went straight into a defensive mode and just straight up started shooting back. I don't think that happens with your the love of your life that you get defensive. It does this time. I think <clears throat> I think his survival instinct kicked in because the thing is like, look, I grew up on Romeo and Juliet. The cursed lovers... They vow to die together, and they die together. You both, both your heads blow off at the same time. Fuck you. He was like, nope. <laughs> but then afterwards, he's like, I got to spend the rest of my days. For this. I was like, you're not too bright. Uh, Kokomo, whatever your face is, whatever your name is. Co- Kokomo? <laughs> what is he, a fucking Pokemon now? <laughs> What's about Yu-Gi-Oh? I and choose you, y- Kokomo. What's about Yu-Gi-Oh and Pokemon? It sounds like Pokemon. God damn it. <laughs> yeah, so, but they gave him a deep backstory there, but I was just like, come on, man. You can forget. <laughs> Think about this for two seconds, you can figure out the smile thing. Right? <laughs> well, I will say this. So, now we get to learn a little bit about, a little bit more about Katano and the fact that he actually has a wife and daughter. 
Yeah. But he's estranged from both of them, obviously. And his daughter wants nothing to do with him. So she basically like ignores him on the phone call so and tells it him just, she's hanging up. Yeah. It just feels like a weird uh he maybe thinks of Nuriko as maybe his surrogate daughter. Because yeah. he seems to be attracted to her. There's that but, weird but that not, weird moment where he, he actually shows up in the woods. Yeah, shows up and actually ends up saving her, which I'm wondering why Mitsuko got scared over him because he's just sitting there with an umbrella like She <laughs> ran away and she had a gun, I think, right? Yeah. She ran away and that she was shot him. That was kind of odd. I guess because she was in that clash with him beginning, so she knows, like, he might throw a knife in her face, <laughs> I guess. Yeah, she got very she, lucky she that he... She ran away like a little kitten. He definitely kind of saved her. <laughs> so she got very lucky with that. Um, well, who was the character who... Um, he wants to go see the girl, and the girl shoots the shit out of him. Oh, yeah, that's uh, Sukimura. Just another character who has a gun. And everybody, <laughs> like, everybody's got a gun. Yeah, she's, uh, she's waiting, like, the hiding to snipe people. So, guess, another so. thing is, I, again, I didn't mention this because it really wasn't that important, but it was a couple of deaths that happened uh, throughout it. And uh, Sugimura was a witness to one of them, which Mitsuko killed another girl that liked this character. Yep. But he even told her, like, I'm sorry, but you're not the one I love. Yep. So now we get to finally see the one he likes, and she kills him. She kills. So I've, I've fucking cut a heat. I've I've heard of unrequited love, but I mean, fuck. <laughs> this is the most tragic scene ever because now, one thing though. He he comes into the little factory thing wherever they're at. She's hiding. This was a a, a clear case of lack of communication because he starts running at her, and I can see why she feels threatened. <laughs> so when she shoots the shit out of him now. She excessively shoots him like 85 times. He just keeps shooting him. And I'm like, can you hear his side of the story for us before you shoot him five times? Like, give the man a chance to speak. Damn. Hell no. But then she gets her comeuppance for her stupidity. Quickly. She's like, she's like, what will I do now? Die. <laughs> I thought, I thought they'd already done this in the movie, but I thought that her killing herself would have been appropriate. Mm. Her shooting herself and then falling next to him would have been a little more poetic than... Just Me too. Go killing, and, crazy bitch killing her. Yeah, and 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 now we get some backstory on crazy girl. Yep. Now this we, movie loves to do something where they, before a character's about to die, they love to give us like some childhood flashback or showing them hitting a game-winning shot in basketball. Well, I mean, so. this one, the, this one, the girl was, she had a pretty fucked up backstory. I mean, her mother literally sold her to a pedophile, and she kills him. Yes. Pushes him down the stairs and then stares at him very angrily. Yeah. And, um, you know, this, this factory place is very popular because five minutes after she got there, we got a psychotic... Uh, uh, Kiriyama. Kokomoma. Kokomama. Kokomama. <laughs> Kiriyama. Kiriyama, right? Kiriyama. Kiriyama shoots her and... At least she put up more... At least she put up a little bit of a fight. Well, though he was kind of having fun with it. So I think I was talking about this before we started the podcast. One thing about this movie is that they're very, they're very casual with bullet shots and bullet wounds and gunshot Mm -hmm. wounds. This girl, she did not want to die. She kept getting shot and kept getting up and coming back like the damn Terminator. (laughs) And uh, Caramo, I'm sure at a certain point, he was like, what? (laughs) Stop getting up. <laughs> Just die. And finally she dies, but I, I was like, 
my God. It was like, what, at least six shots first. Oh, yeah. He used up a whole clip on her. He was like Dr. Loomis with like Michael Myers. It was like where he shot him six. I shot him six, I shot him six times. Credit to her. If that dude hadn't been on the island, <laughs> she, probably, she probably was the runner up. Oh, yeah. It would have been her nobody was Nobody was slowing her down, really. So, <laughs> um, Oh, we also forgot to mention she, uh, she, she killed two people by having sex with them. Does she have teeth in her vagina? Okay, that scene was so weird. Because <laughs> all, all we see is the aftermath, the naked bodies. Oh, yeah. And I'm like, okay. Well, those two characters, like, were they just, like, randomly having sex, like, in that rough area right there? And then also, on top of that, yeah, what the hell did she do to them? Like, It, looked, it honestly looked like she castrated them because it looked like there was blood coming from the private area. Yeah, I'm like, my God. Like, okay, look. For the sake of all men, you know, Caramo did a solid to get rid of her because, I mean, she's the most, he'll, he'll shoot you, shoot the shit out of you, but yeah, she's like torturing people. My God. Right. So Anyways. our heroes finally decided to go see Memora or the guy with the damn computer who my just bo- got done. My boy Memora, every scene, he's typing away on his damn laptop. This and dude is typing, he's learned how to code. Right. <laughs> like, well, he definitely learned how to code because he hacked the system. He hacked the system. He figured out also that, um, you know, um, they're monitoring you through sound, so they cover up their things when they talk so that the yeah. military dudes can't hear them. Um, he's the man with the plan. He, and Gatano, like, This movie seems hopeless, but his scenes are where, like, oh, somebody actually has a plan of attack. He's like, well, let's actually do things. Here, here's the weird part is... So the military gets hacked, but yet it's not the military men who decide what to do. It's Katano. Why is Katano, a teacher, smarter than our fucking military in this movie? Well, how much power does uh, Katano have? Because it's like the the government, the whole government put like him in charge of the whole operation. I guess. (laughs) Like he's like, you know, I'm used to teaching seventh grade math and like history. Y'all got me running the whole damn. So what does he do? He in order to stop the hack, he just pulls the cord shuts yeah. power down he's just like now fix it I was like, Damn. that was uh, an old man hates technology moment for sure <laughs> right um so but th- these characters i felt like gave me hope because i was like watching the first time I'm like okay they're gonna be involved in the ending they're gonna solve the puzzle and then it just goes to shit basically <laughs> pretty much they make the bomb they're celebrating they come out of their house for the first time ever like they've been in the house the whole time they come out quarantine's finally over for them one of them hears a noise in the woods. He's like, it's something like you lost your mind and forgot like what's going on. Cause he's just like, Hey, whoever it is, come out and say hello. And shot the shit. Oh yeah. And now his friends, they're like one. Okay. The smart one. He's like, let's get back inside. They try to go inside. One of them shot the shit again. Now, Mamera, who's been smart the entire movie decides to be an idiot. And you have to explain what happened here. <laughs> what was he trying to do? He, well, he, if he, I remember correctly, he actually does get shot and wounded, so he was going to die anyway. No, Mamera, I don't think at that point was. Mamera mm. was the only one that had to get shot, right? He's like, pathway to go back in the house. He decides to run and jump in front of the truck where the guy's standing right there with the gun. The guy's like, oh, shit. Okay. <laughs> Shoots him in the back. Mamera is so intent on blowing up the bomb. There's a bomb in the truck. He's like, ah, and he blows himself to shit. But because he did that, he also blinded Kiriyama. 
I get it. But you jumped into his line of fire and he shot he shot you. I mean, oh, it was just uh, Granted, he could have, you know, shot the truck, but that's besides the point. Well, I mean, there's got to be a better strategy than throwing yourself in front of the killer who has a gun who shoots <laughs> you in the back. And to be fair, though, you could say that he was the, the beginning of the downfall for for Caramo because he did blind him in the explosion. And then we get what should have been probably the most epic fight. Oh my God. Yeah. Cause we have, okay. Of all the iconic horror scenes of a killer coming back, seeing Caramo come out of the fire, out of the house, like the biggest badass ever was the greatest thing. With ever. that music playing also the slow motion. It was like Jet Li and Romeo must die where he steps over the fire. Right. At the end. That was, that's the kind of fight I thought we were going to see here. Right. And then he just, walks starts walking sideways i'm like i know you're insane but do you not see the three you know people to kill in front of you and then he turns and, around and you're right he, he didn't he couldn't see <laughs> he actually was blind so then we get you know kiriyama is pretty much screaming as he's shooting trying to make it i guess make him look like a dragon at this point because as um, he's screaming, yeah. his mouth's wide open, the barrel's right in front of his mouth, and just fire's coming out of the gun. Yeah. Um, and he misses every it was, shot. It was hard, maybe because of the flames, it was hard to actually see what was happening in the scene. So pretty um, much... Uh, you saw them firing back and forth, but it wasn't really shot that well because the lighting and the flames were kind of like making it unclear what the hell was happening. Right, up until the point where Kawada finally gets up and shoots him twice. Once in the leg, once right in the neck. Yep. And the one in the neck blows his damn head off. Oh, yes. What was that? I thought he, did he shoot the, the collar? Probably. That made it? Okay. Yeah. That could have been just the bullet. That was actually him uh, messing up the thing on his neck and making his head explode. Okay. And also, he was using a shotgun. Shotguns do a good amount of damage. Yeah, and that's... That was a quick end for our villain. Right. I, I was, was expecting a lot more struggle there. For some reason, I was honestly expecting like a, like a one-on-one almost. Because it's Japan. I was thinking karate fight. And we just get probably something a little bit more realistic, to be honest with you. It just... Um, some of the tension in the movie actually leaves when that character dies. Oh, yeah. Because you kind of feel like, no, oh, things are going to be okay. So... Uh, things are going to be okay, except for what did you think actually happened? Oh, they got me on this damn twist. <laughs> so we get our three main characters, three heroes now, um, stumbling along to some place at the end of the thing where the dude has said, I know how to get off the island, basically. And then he reveals, this is all a facade, and I'm going to kill you now. I fooled you all. There was no uh, girlfriend who I shot, basically. It was all bullshit. And you hear that, the military hears that, and they buy it. And they say, game over. Game over. It's yeah. over. And I thought the movie was over. I was like, oh, shit. He turned on him. He's a survivor. He killed him. So. Oh, you thought it was over. And then all of a sudden, the movie just kept going. Kept going. And then I was like, oh, there's got to be maybe a twist coming here then. Because why would he? He sent the military home. And they got lucky because, you know, maybe a better operation says, let's go check out the bodies and make sure the winner is the winner. But the military is like, okay, hey. McDonald's on the way home. Who's stopping? Let's go. Right. Wait, let's get some wings. And, um, wings. Then we get the twist, though. Shuya and Noriko actually survived because it was actually all along Kawada that one knew how to stop the freaking necklaces, but apparently Katana also blames him for the actual hack. Yeah. Um, um, the scene was a little bit confusing. He blames him for the hack. He tells him, oh, you were, you were the one, not... Uh, 
uh, Murano, Murano, Merma. Memoro. Well, basically threatens to shoot him, but then our backup comes, which is... Um, Shuya and Noriko. Yeah. They come storming in to save the day. And that's when things get kind of weird because... Uh, <laughs> Very. He, <laughs> that kind of. Um, Katano reveals um, that weird picture he has of which is, dead bodies, dead kids, and uh, what's-her-face in the middle, just happily, cheerily... Yep, he, he was rooting for Noriko this whole time, which makes me wonder... Because he doesn't really give off that I want to have sex with this 15-year-old girl vibe. He has more of the surrogate daughter, father figure vibe. Yes. You would think so. But then again, then he's like, okay, now I'm going to kill. He he makes it look like he's going to kill her. But he has a water gun. And this is where this movie starts to get kind of ridiculous. (laughs) Because um, he starts getting shot. A lot. And he he actually fires back with the water gun. (laughs) At that point, why are you firing back with a water gun? It's like, oh, you're shooting me. Ah, take this liquid. And... Yeah. Well, be, probably because. That was, that was that... liquid acid. I mean, I don't know. No, probably just to show that he wasn't actually going to kill them. Okay. But I guess this is the part where it actually gets really weird. So. Katano, I think, is immortal. He's been shot five times. 500 times. He's pretty much on the ground dead. But his damn phone rings. <laughs> and. You know, hey, I mean, if you're going to die, you know, maybe at least... At least say goodbye to your family. Handle your affairs first, right? So he gets up like nothing happened. He's just like, oh, God damn it, I thought I turned that thing off. says nothing to our main characters, just walks to the couch where his phone is and answers the phone. Again, as if he has no pain. No, no pain. As a matter of fact, he's having a casual conversation on the phone for a good 30 seconds. Before then screaming at his daughter. Yeah, and finally he's like, okay, well, maybe I'm about to die, so. But not before one last cookie. Oh, right. He eats that last cookie, and then he just gives the most exaggerated death. He's like, those are some damn good cookies. (laughs) And immediately dies. (laughs) You gotta gotta love when someone's talking, they just immediately say something funny and just pass out dead. (laughs) Right. That's the way to go out, I guess. But that definitely um, took the seriousness out of the movie and put us back into campy... B-movie schlock, I would well, say. Then we kind of get a little bit more serious when Kawada finally dies because of all the wounds he's sustained in this. But not before finally figuring out what that damn smile meant. Even though Noriko told him exactly what it meant. And it was exactly what the hell we said about an hour ago. <laughs> she was happy for you. But actually, no, he came up with some weird thought of, I'm glad I had one true friend. That's not what she was thinking. Get out of here. <laughs> no, she was thinking, I'm happy you survived. Now stay surviving. How much you want to bet she's kicking his ass for dying? Yeah, he he died with like basically a generic fortune cookie. <laughs> that, what he said was in 5,000 different fortune cookies that I've read as a Chinese food. Yep, and then our movie finally ends with Shuya and Nuriko now being wanted for murder. They're going to be living a life on the run. Fugitives. Until you get to the second one and find out Noriko went to America. You know, they should go to hide. Nobody will ever find them in Nilbog. God damn it. So, I mean, look, if you think about a good hiding spot for them to go to, why not Nilbog? Can you think of a better place? Because be, they will definitely die. No, I mean, they can. Listen. They will become green goo. If that little kid can handle himself, then they can handle himself in Nilbog, right? They did nothing, believe it or not. Kalida did everything. Look, after surviving Battle Royale, you don't think believe they can it or survive not, the, the goblins? Believe it or not, Shuya still does nothing in the second Battle Royale movie. 
Listen, all I'm just saying, man, someone out there, fan fiction, Troll 3, Battle Royale. Oh, God damn I mean, it. come Don't on, man. It. Listen, throwing out some good ideas here. Um, no one listen to this fool, please. So, but yeah, they're basically now, they're, they even mentioned that she says goodbye to her parents while they're sleeping. They're going to be living, and I'm not even going to acknowledge the sequel right now because I haven't seen it and I have no idea, but from You're this not going gonna, to because no one's going to suggest it. Go fuck yourselves. Okay. Well, yeah, so that's what I've heard, but they're going to be living a tough life, it seems like, and you know, it just overall gives the movie a little bit of a depressing end, I would say. Yep. And then the ending scenes have nothing to the plot, so let's get to our final thoughts. Wait a minute. You don't want to talk about the, like, the, the random basketball scenes where we see this team fighting for the basketball championship? I will and... throw my notes at you. All right. All right. Well, listen. Go fuck yourself. We can, we can, we can <laughs> make, ignore those. Then, they do right? nothing for the plot. Nothing at the all. The closest thing you get towards plot, really, is the very last one, which was Noriko and Katano's dream. Which I didn't care about. Well, neither did I. But and I, th- I thought filming those basketball scenes was probably a waste. A they waste needed to pan out the time, but they really didn't need to. This is a two-hour-long movie without those damn basketball scenes. a long-ass movie. All right, let's get to our overall thoughts. So, you want me to go first? You want to go first? Yeah, I'll go first. Since, right. you know, So, me, I'm going to be giving this a three. One, it's very nostalgic for me because I have been watching this pretty much ever since it came out. Four years prior to it actually coming out, or four years after it came out, I started watching this. It, it is a very fun movie. The campiness honestly makes it feel almost legitimate because they are still kids. They're trying to find a joking matter in a situation. Because name one kid's going to take it seriously to start. Yeah. Uh, it, especially the ending just throws you for a loop, and it just adds a little bit more uh, life to the movie in a sense. Even though, you know, technically it's taking life, but you get the picture. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. (laughs) Anyway, it's also intense. There's a good amount of uh, intense scenes. The only thing I find as a downside is we don't get a full-on fight between Kawada and Kiriyama. Like the movie was pretty much building up for. That was a downer. That was a downer. Uh, Mitsuko, she definitely deserved what she got. Because she crazy bitch. She did a lot of harm. Oh, yeah. She would have done even more harm. I mean, look, if she got off that island, she was going to probably wreak havoc on in the, just civilization in general. So. Well, no, she, I, I think she did get off the island because she becomes Mika in 47 Ronin. She becomes Keanu Reeves' love interest. Oh, yes, the one where she, she's driving the bus and they got to make sure the bomb, the speed limit doesn't go below 50. Yeah. Folks, just, is there a reason why I'm doing this podcast with this guy when he came and keep yeah, his movie straight? Yeah, because we both love speed. Yeah. God damn it. So, hey, listen, get back to your thoughts. <laughs> So my that, that pretty much is my thoughts. I, li- I oh, liked a good God. amount of the characters, you know, the ones we got to know. Uh, the only, another downside, really, I'd have to say is Shuya and Noriko were both nothing, really, in this G- movie. Pretty generic. Very generic. It was really Kawada I cared about the entire movie. Well, yeah, because he actually had a... I mean, I guess they all had backgrounds, but... Yeah, I mean, one thing we forgot we never uh, talked about was Shuya's dad committed suicide. Yeah. There we go. We talked about it. Anyway. Well, yeah. (laughs) I mean, it's not much else to say. Right. So anyway, that's my overall thoughts. I'm giving this movie a three. It's fun. It's nostalgic. There's a good amount of tense moments. There's a good amount of sad moments. It's definitely worth at least one viewing from people who don't like foreign and multiple viewings for people who love Japanese. Yeah. Um, I'm going to give it three stars also. Um, 
I think what I appreciate most is just the boldness of the movie. It's a very bold movie. Again, you got a bunch of kids basically on an island, and this movie's not shying away from giving them the most violent, graphic deaths possible. So the boldness itself makes it a super fun, especially for the first time viewing experience. Uh, I'm not sure about the rewatchability yet, but I know the first time was really fun watching it. Um, I didn't care about a lot of the characters. Um, it did suffer from there was too many characters, so you had to do very like quick scenes trying to give them backgrounds and show flashbacks and stuff, and that's just like kind of um, that's not a good tool per se. It's just like when I hate Friday Thirteen movies where they introduce a character, have them die in the next scene. There was a lot of scenes kind of like that. But the death scenes are all fun. So even if you just go in and watch and view it as a horror movie, you get a lot of fun death scenes. Um, you have a cool-ass villain. Um, the heroes are generic, but you do cheer for them. You do want them to get off the island. So can't say you don't want to cheer against them. And that's, that's always a win. Um, it's, just, um, it's just a very entertaining movie. Like, I don't think the movie is that deep or that... I don't think there's any real big overlying message in the movie. It's just... And it, Realistically, and taken as a whole, it's a depressing idea. This group of ninth, ninth graders are all pretty much dead now. And what was the point of any of it? Well, there was no point to any of it. So I should mention that all these uh, actors and actresses, minus Kawada, Kiriyama, and all the adults, they actually all were 15 to 14 years old. Okay. Well, yeah. I mean, so I they even, were played by legitimate children. And that just adds to it. Yeah, none of them seem like adults. So that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I'm going to give it three stars, though. I think that's a very fun movie to watch obviously definitely don't take it too seriously i mean think about it like it is campy there's gonna be some fun moments some laughs um kind of depressing but um but yeah definitely worth watching the subtitles are cool i mean i mean hey you got to read sometimes you might as well make it while watching a movie um, or reading one of my books but that's something <laughs> um hey i got a joke for you do you know i read this online i think it's pretty good oh, do you know what they call hunger games in france what Battle Royale with cheese. <laughs> and with that, everyone have a good night. Later. Get out.